Oh, there you go. How's the quality? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, it's good. You should probably join Wi-Fi. I love that the, uh, <laughs> I love that the, uh, when you send me the invitation, it's so cheesy. Come join my recording on Anchor. Happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, oh, hold on. Is it better on Wi-Fi? Um, I don't think about, I mean, I can hear you pretty clearly. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I think that sounds pretty good. <clears throat> it's going to be a great podcast. <laughs> so we're just (laughs) do you want to record do you just want to go now or do you want to do you want to reconvene no 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 let's what do you mean by reconvene like hang up and no 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 no. we're gonna keep this no 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 no. we're gonna do this live we're gonna do it live (laughs) right now and we're gonna shoot from the hip this is the intro hi and welcome to our (laughs) podcast (laughs) i'm steven silveria your host with my buddy here david migna hey david how you doing hey i'm the host (laughs) (laughs) that's right (laughs) we're already getting very petty to begin this podcast that's what you call it petty Petty, I, ca- I, ca- petty. I call it Who's brilliant. Who has the power? <laughs> so you're uh, like, I'm the color commentator. <laughs> you're the straight man. <laughs> Just <gonna look. laughs> all right, all right. Um, well, yeah. You sh- you, why don't you introduce yourself more formally? I guess. <laughs> My name is Stephen. I'm a physical therapist. Um, here, uh, work out in Oakland, California, the East Bay. The Oakland is the last city with culture left in it in the Bay Area. Um, I'm just kidding. Not, not really. With what? With, with culture left in the Bay Area. Oh. It's kind of true. Um, I'm from Los Angeles, California, and um, graduated from PT school at from the uh, University of St. Augustine in San Marcos. That's where I met David. Our, uh, he was a classmate of mine. David, I'll introduce yourself. Yeah, Steven's right. I am an unemployed therapist <laughs> as, <laughs> as of recently. Yes. Um, many, many therapists are now in light of the pandemic, I assume. Um, and Why yes, am I Steven and I got. Yeah, it's terrible. That's yeah, true. Just look <laughs> like you're pitying me. <laughs> so, yeah, Steven and I graduated in 2017. So we have three years of experience under our belt. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. Officially. And um, yeah, we <clears throat> both work in outpatient settings. I mean, you're in a residency, sorry, fellowship program. I always say that. Pretty much it's melded into the fellowship, right? The residency. It's just yeah. like. Yeah. Mine is like a, it was like a weird program where it's like, I think most, I think traditionally people expect you to have done a residency before doing fellowship. I think there's this new rule that they're trying to pass that you have to. But that's yeah. an under scrutiny right now. But yeah, so it's almost like I went through a residency, sort of, but it's built in, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of things that we can talk about with this podcast. I mean, you and I both, we can just get going with the discussions and, and go on for a long time uh, along many facets of physical therapy practice. There are going to be a lot. There are going to be a lot of Star Wars analogies. <laughs> What is the sand that's coarse and rough and irritating <laughs> of the physical therapy profession, right? Yeah, yeah, adhering to evidence so practice. Things. So we were just talking about like like 
Okay, so like I guess what a good sample topic would be um because this is almost like our pilot. Um what we were talking about. So we're studying or well, you are formally for um but I will be um for the OCS exam, the orthopedic clinical specialty exam, right David? We were talking about this off air. Yeah, so I you know, just a few minutes ago I was doing a course online that was part of a prep program. Right. And I think and, the big, yeah. Yeah. I guess I'll keep going. So I, I pose to you um, when I'm going through a lot of these prep courses, something that keeps coming up is, uh, and again, I'm forgetting the name, but the, uh, why do I always forget this? <laughs> oh, Not the clinical prediction the, rule. The test item cluster. Test item cluster. Right? <laughs> so I mean, so I see. much of, recommendations of clinical practice are dependent on these test item clusters but but me over the last years i've developed you know this skeptical approach to what informs our practice and research so i'm thinking we're so dependent on you know two or three big classifications of shoulder dysfunction for example based on this one study this was well, I guess these two or three test item clusters that come from this one study. So time out, time out. So you're going to, so let's just say for the audience, like, so right now the, 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 um, the park study for the impingement, right. As an example, Correct. right. Is what you're saying? Correct. Right. And so I'm going to rephrase this. So you're, you're telling me that like it, it, the amount of skepticism rightfully so about these test item clusters. Right. And um, based on kind of shoddy, like evidence that we're like, using to basically subgroup people based on these, just these three items. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I agree. I think it's pretty much lazy, but go on. Sorry. Finish what you were saying. Well, I mean, I think at face value, you can look at these studies or let's go with this example more They they, in this course, they were going over the example of how you have, you know, if you, if you cluster, I think it was a, uh, painful external rotation with like a painful arc and um, I can't remember what the last bit was but you pretty much have like a positive likelihood ratio of 15.37 something along those lines so you know that's great and everything um, but has has this kind of be reproduced like I haven't what I've learned about this so far in this mini course that I'm taking they didn't talk about how this study was structured, how many participants, how, how they kind of arrived at this data. Has it been reproduced? Man, this reproducibility question. Um, mm. And, you know, I found that the, the general trend, it seems like with a lot of these diagnostic studies, especially for things like special tests, they've been done multiple times. So they've kind of developed a range of things like positivity and sensitivity for a lot of tests, um, which I think is useful. But regardless, you you want things to be as clear as possible. And I'm not saying that this is necessarily bad, but that that skeptical part of my brain is thinking, uh, is there something that's missing here or is the quality maybe not as great? Um, It seems like we as a profession seem to jump to just jumping on the bandwagon as, you know, oh, this this study or this research shows this. So we're just going to do this for now and maybe somebody will reinvestigate this in the future. We'll see. Right. 
Right. I, I, I agree totally. It's just, I mean, I guess from, you know, if I was speaking as a PT student um, back in the day, but you know me, I talk trash about just everything during school. But um, like, right, it, it's, I was like, <laughs> all the little things that I questioned. Um, but yeah, it's like, I think as a, as, as a budding PT student and you're looking at something like shoulder impingement and you're in clinic for the first time or, or for your first year, and you, let's say, for example, it depends on who it, who's doing the test, right? I mean, who's doing the evaluation. So, But I can see where the pitfall is because if you issue this as our standard of care or, mm-hmm. or for what we think is best practice, I guess it's the better term, mm-hmm. then we fall into the pitfall of that's just fucking lazy, because it's like, you know, there have been a couple times, not a lot, but like several times where people would show up with this type of, um, with these like positive, like on all three of these, right? I had, I had a patient recently, just two months ago, who had all three of these. Yeah. Who had underwent subacromial decompression. Yeah. Right. And he still had his symptoms. Now, it, I'm not saying that this happens all the time, but in this scenario, you know, if you didn't do a proper evaluation, this guy had been complaining about neck stiffness for a while now, not necessarily pain, but you know, you know, they always say be thorough. And, you know, we did a a very thorough examination of his neck and lo and behold, not only did it reproduce his shoulder pain, but it brought on other distal symptoms as well. So this is what I mean by lazy. It's like, if you're not thorough and you get these positive signs, it's not that like, I mean, sure, like in a typical impingement scenario, then, or sorry, <clears throat> subacromial pain syndrome scenario, um, then, yeah, then it'll show up. You're right. It's not bad, but it's just lazy if you don't go that extra mile. And I think um, that's where, like, your own practice patterns and your um, critical thinking and, and just making your own judgments based on what you see in front of you. And then letting the evidence guide you. I know that, that mm. you know, Eric Mir talks about the evidence-based funnel and not the stool. But, right, you still have to, you have to develop. I think it's important that we develop good skills mm. in terms of evaluating what presents itself in front of us. And then allow, and with that, allow the evidence to guide us afterwards. Right? So it's, it's, it's almost like this hand-holding. It's not like if somebody, if the, I see what you're saying, is like the pitfall is when, 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 when these big publications put this out and be like, this is best practice, people are going to just yeah, latch on to no replacement that. for critical thinking. Really lazy. Of, uh, dealing with the person in front of you. And as you were speaking, I was just thinking of the messiness of patients mm-hmm. in the sense that, like, how often have you worked with people who, you know, their ability to communicate effectively, like, what they're feeling, uh, it's just like, oh, I, just, I hurt, my shoulder hurts. Like, for example... For, for mm-hmm. shoulder pain, like when my shoulder hurts, like everything hurts, regardless of whatever special testing positions you do and how, you know, accurate you are in doing the technique as it's as it's indicated to be done, uh, you, you can move the patient's shoulder any which way and it can, <laughs> mm-hmm. it can hurt, you know, minor to moderate positions of any sort of stress are, are an issue. And then when yeah. that happens, honestly, it's kind of like, yeah. uh these tests get fuzzy it's like well everything's positive now but uh but then of course when you're doing those techniques you know that's not the only thing you're considering right you can read the patient's body language um if they're favoring their shoulder things like that what they say in the history kind of what how they move when they're (laughs) 
you know, not really thinking about it. So it, it's 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 kind of messy to really but, yeah, see through all that stuff and, and do, you know, these physical motions that are special tests and say, oh, this is strictly positive, right? Or, you know, this doesn't cause stress or pain to the patient, right? But exactly and i think just even the way you were describing like man this this can get entirely messy like all the different factors that account like, like factor into a patient's pain experience right so it's like all right cool we just talked all this stuff about how you know everything you just said in the last like one minute and then you're gonna dump everything into this test item cluster and i'm like no no no, no. so you see like it's like this terrible pitfall um that again is just lazy and i you know i think and it's not to say that it's bad I, and there have been times where it's like okay cool I'll, you know these three things have shown up and it made me a little happy I'm like oh look at that yeah it just so happened that these three happen to be positive <laughs> but um and, and it's just a nice little pat on the back i guess is what i get from it but um yeah i i don't think if this is what evidence is like trending towards it's tough because it's like we have we we try to make it's not that these these tests are you know like you said terrible it's well-meaning but it's like i mean should what what's the better what's the better alternative should we i mean like what you say like make something more reproducible um should we try to get away from that like should we try to stay away from test item clusters i mean or should we reframe well i think we should just reframe them as like look the likelihood of you having subacrobial impingement when you have these three is now higher, but it shouldn't like give you a, like you yeah. should always rest with, you should always have and some it, degree that of just uncertainty. Gets me thinking, right? You know, one aspect right. that you can dive into the methodology of research like this is, um, is sampling, but, but kind of on the level of, and I, and I'd heard this kind of called out in a, re, in one of these other courses I had taken recently that, you know, this population of people that were tested uh, or for this study, like the researchers probably already had a sense that they might've had, you know, X, Y, Z shoulder problem. And then you're already starting with a population that has been chosen with some sort of bias to, to, to determine like a diagnostic study, right? That didn't just come out of nowhere. That's not true. Like random sampling. Yeah. Right? So then you already have a problem with your population. And then I, kind of along with what I was saying with the messiness of patients and everything, like how often is research structured to get subjects that are, you know, generally well adjusted. And kind of what I mean by that is, you know, there's not a lot of psychosocial things like emotional stressors, like they have a pretty good handle on what they're doing. Things haven't gotten out of control God, yeah. so them being like sensitized and everything mm -hmm. but in the real world like you see patients like that who have who have kind of those as i've heard it said like yellow flag issues <laughs> all the time no no again that's kind of more <laughs> did of i tell you that of these courses i'm taking um, oh. so oh yeah yeah it's like and that and that goes to reproducibility too right I mean, especially, especially, yeah, especially in subacromial pain syndrome, like low back pain, subacromial pain, anterior knee pain, they're like similar in that aspect where like the yellow flags are kind of like more relevant, not that they're more relevant, but like they take a special issue, yeah. right? 
Right. God, especially with that. So yeah, like I can see like again, the comp just what you're saying, case in point, it's right. like the complicated nature of it. Right. Right. So like there's gotta be so much more that like factors in and how yeah, how right. making reproducibility becomes I guess so much harder than I'm that. steering the conversation a little bit to, right. to a different direction, but in terms of the why, like why are we doing this? What are we doing about I mean mm-hmm. it's great from um the sense of just like wanting to know and pinpoint like what exactly is going on. So I think you hold that on one hand because you want to know and you want to be good at diagnosing things and everything. But, you know, it's not like we have MRI vision or it's not like we can <laughs> peel, peel back the layers of <laughs> tissue without consequence. Right. Um, if you just like look inside the body as it were, um, but you want that ability, right? But at the same mm. time, you hold in the other hand the fact that you know the human body, like a person, in, and a person in general, is incredibly complex, right? So you, what you're trying to manage yeah. is, is not something that you can just narrow down and classify into these categories. In reality, it's very complex. So we have this almost this burden to be like, I need to find out what's exactly what's wrong and fix it. But then you go into the question of interventions and that's just like all over the place in what people try. Right. And that's, there's so much like, well, you know, people have strong opinions, of course, but wherever you're at, even with things that are the most well supported, you, you, there's always questions of what is this doing? And how, with how specific it can be to the individual the that you know the n equals one patient like what effects are these are these things having there's there's such like an amalgam of different factors so really really keeping in mind the the complexity of like of of each case is uh pretty important it can be in a sense it can be like discouraging if you resign yourself to that but i think that's also what drives us to try and understand and learn more uh even though it kind of starts to ask us starts to make us ask it's more slip- questions when we do that <laughs> i know it's a little bit of a slippery slope right so it's just like and then even if well, it's kind of going back to what you said about like the mri vision i'm like yeah but like we have a lot of false positives and negatives which looking at like you know, yeah. like at an MRI, how does that relate to their pain? You know, and especially with sub, like if we're using the mm-hmm. case, the example of subacromial pain, right? So I, I really think in terms of like what, when a patient's right in front of you, what are you going to do, right? Well, you don't want to lie, that's for sure, right? You don't want to like just tell them something to appease them either. And so the complicated nature, whether whether or not they're a red, yellow, whatever flags, um, I think the first and foremost is like, okay, make sure this patient is safe. And that's like step one. I think that's like kind of like steering them towards like um, reassurance. This is what I'm trying to say is like, you know, the common theme I, I guess now in the PT world is like, you got to reassure first, right? And if you cleared, done a really thorough exam, and that's why I always do it in the beginning, like reassure yourself that this patient is appropriate. And then coming up with the diagnosis is hard and, and becomes this slippery slope because understanding that the truth mm-hmm. is that there's a little bit of uncertainty with things. Right. But if you, but if you do a really good exam and you find these relevant findings 
right? And then you say with like, look, maybe this is happening. Even when I have patients who I'm so certain have subacromial pain syndrome, I always, I'm always like, look, I'm not entirely sure, but it seems like X and Y make your shoulder very sensitive. And you have some things here that we can work on, right? Like for example, somebody who's weak in the scaption plane or external rotation weakness or whatever, right? Then it was like, look, these are things that we can, you know, it might be that the rotator cuff is a little irritated. Here's what we can do to build you back up. And then we, and then tell them it's like, this probably will help you in terms of like getting you to go back to do the things you're doing. But in terms of like, is my acromion poking into my shoulder type thing? You know, like, you know, I, I, I always hesitate to say something about that. I always tell them maybe, and then maybe not. And then it's like, I would rather not give you, I would rather not lie to somebody than, you know, tell them, actually, it seems like there's a little less space when you're rolling your arm up here. And this is blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay. Cause then if you tell them that they're going to want to get a, they're going to want to get a sh- uh, surgery if they don't get better. Right. So it's, it, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a slippery slope. And I always try to say, I think this is going to get better. It's going to take a little bit of time. And here, and with a good exam, you show them, look, these are things that are, that are lacking, right? These are things that we can work on. I think if we improve these things, it should get better over time. And we expose you to things, you know, you know, graded exposure and, you know, really try to load this up, then I think you will get better. But we have to understand that there are limitations. Like you can't just jump the gun and like expect that things will just be, you know, a hundred percent better right off the bat. So it's, um, you know, I think that's where I that's where I tend to be at when I tend, when I educate the patient. I hate giving like these absolute like statements. So um, because it's just the truth, right? Like I'm not gonna tell them like that they probably have this going on with their tissue because then I don't want them lead down going down another path. And then what if, gosh, like what if they go to their doc and then yeah. their ortho doc and they're like, they say something completely different. It, right. You don't, so you don't like, know. You know uh, you dangerous don't know each for way. Sure. Right. You can do the best you can to narrow it down. But like you said, you want to, what's going to be the most from a, yeah. from a pragmatic sense, what's going to be the most effective thing that you can do. And, and I really like what you were saying about, uh, communicating with the patient. I think that that piece or those pieces of providing education, communication, re- like reframing the issue in the patient's mind. Um, and, and, you know, maybe that has carryover to, mm-hmm. you know, when they have a problem down the road, right? I mean, I've, I've read stuff online from mm-hmm. various <clears throat> other physical therapists and stuff about <clears throat> kind of resiliency and kind of how, people tend to view pain and, and problems. And, and that, that's definitely different from individual to individual. But if you can, you mentioned like building, building back up, I think you were talking about something. Yeah. Let's say specific for the shoulder or whatever body region, but you really want to build people up physically, mm-hmm. mentally, mm-hmm. you know, what, what, how are they approaching this? Like cognitively, mm-hmm. effectively, um, affect wise is what I mean <laughs> uh, to, to deal with these issues because <laughs> yes, you know you can very good as very you good. treat a patient I mean we have the privilege of really spending a lot of time with the people we work with but as you work with people are you instilling the message that you know having having pain having aches having fatigue having 
<laughs> a sense of being deconditioned like that's going to be normal through the the ups and downs of life you know uh people age too there's going to be consequences mm-hmm. of that right so um you're sending messages to kind of to normalize <clears throat> things to an extent mm-hmm. but then you're also you know you have to balance that with like you never need to see anybody you're always going to because then you know the, there there are serious uh pretty nefarious things that can happen right so um, but anyway i guess my my main point is oh yeah for sure which is why I always say do the do the critical screening immediately. Yeah. But that's like number one. I feel like I feel like in school, like maybe maybe the, my it was my own ignorance, but it was like you know the importance and maybe from watching I don't know I was just watching CIs and stuff. But it's like I, I'm just gonna say this out now. Uh-huh. You need to rule out red flags immediately. <laughs> that's like step one always. And so and even if it's like for any patient, even if it's your run of the mill patient. And that's step one to giving them reassurance. Because, I mean, how many times have you had a patient and you've done an exam and you know nothing's wrong? I mean, terribly wrong. And you tell them, okay, cool, but whatever. And even if you didn't have a successful, you know, initial trial treatment, it's how many times have you had a patient come in the second day and be like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm feeling pretty good just after talking to you, right? So it's like, I think as long as you're not lying, which yeah. is basically do a good red flag screening, then you're already yeah. like, you know, on the road to Definitely. reassurance. And yeah, I think one of the, but anyway, so, yeah, definitely what you're saying now is included, but the way you communicate and educate patients, I think that's the point I'm trying to make is just such a big piece of the puzzle. And, you know, you know what's going on in your head, right, with why mm-hmm. you're asking certain questions and, <laughs> and screening for things, right? Uh, and certainly you have to make that mm-hmm. uh, top priority. Um, but then there's also that other piece, like once you've gone through everything, like how are you communicating to the patient, right? And if there is a red flag, that's true. You got to be able to, to be clear and concise and be like, hey, you really need to, to deal with this. Uh, and if not, then you can help with that yeah. reassurance aspect that you were mentioning earlier. <clears throat> and yeah, and I think that's kind of like the theme with... I don't know if you listen, if anybody else listens to podcasts nowadays, but that's like the giant common denominator, um, which is like you need to, if you do a thorough exam, give them re- reassurance that everything's going to be okay and that they can work on stuff. I mean, you you look at um, all these studies on like the most recent one from last year. It was the um, pain neuroscience education uh, for acute low back pain. Who's Remember the, that? Who's the authors? Okay. Mosley and, and his group. Right. They talked about, they separated it into two groups and they basically, I might be butchering how I'm, how I'm describing the study, but people with acute low back pain, mm-hmm. one group just got basic reassurance, right. And, and education. And the other one got like the really, really, really in depth, right. Like pain neuroscience education. Um, and long story short, there was no um, like, mm-hmm real difference between the both of them right now i think um, the obvious the obvious thing to look at would be like well it's acute low back pain like i'm not sure pain neuroscience education is going to be really helpful in the beginning it might be but like you know i feel like if you had said something if you had um tried a different population but like you said earlier the complications (laughs) with selecting the population would be difficult right because right so it's not like well well i will say but but i do want to make a distinction really quickly though like 
what I was talking about earlier had more to do with diagnostic studies, right? So if you're already selecting a population that you've already vetted in your that's mind, true, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or like vetted for in some ways, and then make like <laughs> yeah. so you're already doing yeah, some yeah. diagnostic classification before you even choose who you are, but. I think what you're referring to with this acute low back yeah. pain study, you, you, you've already looking at a population to see how that specific population re- responds to a certain intervention. So I view that a little bit differently, but I understand what you're trying, what point you're trying to make. Cause you could also say like, how does the pain neuroscience education apply to a varied, a varied group with varied issues. Right. Yeah. But yeah, to, to clarify, the only reason why I'm using this as oh, an example right. is because we were talking about education and stuff, right? And how we, right, about diagnosis and whatever, but, but this and, and um, how that affects people. And the point I'm trying to make is you don't have to be, you know, like all you have to be is re- re- simple reassurance can get you far, is what I'm saying, right? And, and it, it is, wow, I can't believe I went off on that much <laughs> of a tangent about pain neuroscience. <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> oh my god, it went down a little crazy road. Our podcast is going to be amazing <laughs> and, and easy to follow. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, it's going to be so easy to follow. Everyone's like, "Man, these guys jump no, back and forth." Too. That's my fault. Um, but yeah, like simple reassurance. But sim- yeah, but but simple reassurance can get you far. Um, granted that you did a good exam. But and then it's like so. How much so? Bringing it all the way back and tying it back together, full circle. How much do we have to rely on in specificity and when it comes to diagnostics, right? So I don't know. I think it's I personally, if I'm going to say this as a personal opinion, I think there is no harm in trying to be specific. Like the attempt to 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 be specific with your exam and be like, okay, this is what I think is causing the the problem in my mind at least and i'm like you know you know when the patient asks me what do i think i speak in a little bit broader term because i'm unsure it's like well you have pain with external rotation blah 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 blah. it sounds like there's a load intolerance right if if we're still using subacromial pain syndrome as an example there seems to be a bit of a load intolerance Mm -hmm. in certain directions right what does that mean in terms of the tissue integrity i'm not sure but, you know, subacromial pain syndrome isn't as, you know, you know, it's not like a full, like a full thickness tear, right? So, you know, granted, we've already ruled that out too. So it's like, okay, I'm go- let's, let's start with this. I'm confident that we can improve, we can at least improve somewhat mm-hmm. with doing this. Let's see where it takes us. Yeah, right. And then that, I, that's generally how I like to speak. I never like to speak in absolutes because it's just not true, right? You don't know. Um so, yeah, I don't. I tr- I personally try not to hang my hat on being absolutely specific, right, but I right. try as much as yeah, I can to I, be. I think there's no. I I think that's the that's the pitfall with yeah. going the out uh, with pendulum swinging and shit. Like I feel like people now are like, oh no, everything's not specific, and it's true. A lot of stuff is non-specific, but it doesn't give you an excuse yeah, totally to be lazy. You. I, you know I, what I, mean? I would go back to kind of that analogy I was saying with like holding holding both of those aspects and in, in two different hands. on the one hand being a diagnostic expert and being very specific like you want that but at the same time understanding the complexity and we have a lot of questions and it is kind of vague uh-huh. so so you you kind of have to hold both of those mm-hmm. at the same time right uh and mm-hmm. so like on if if you go if you fall off one side of the horse so to speak and you're just all about 
being as specific as you can and you think that you can actually achieve that with a great, great degree of certainty, then you get caught in the trap of just staying with things that are not really well supported, right? Or that are very uh, prone to change. It's easy mm-hmm. to get married to those. Um, that, yeah, those dogmas are like this, dogmas. this clinical, <laughs> clinical prediction rule or this... Uh, um, a test item cluster. I always forget it. Item cluster. On the other way. hand, yeah, you can get a little bit realistic <laughs> and just be like, "Well, we can't really know anything, and we're always going to be more questions. So let's yeah. just do whatever." Right? Um, neither of those extremes is particularly yes. helpful. Uh, you kind of have to have you kind of have to have both of those things in mind, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's challenging. But you know, mm-hmm, depending mm-hmm. on how you look at it, it can be exciting. And I mean, hopefully as clinicians, as therapists, it is. I mean, with whatever avenue you're in, whether that is actually being a clinician or teaching or whatever, hopefully you always want to learn. Um, yeah, I mean, that, and, and that brings up interesting. There's so much division, well, there's so much division in our world in a lot of ways now, but even within our profession, there's a lot of division, right? Um, because people have the tendency to, I know hold on to things and then you you can tend to get in your camp right and <laughs> hold hold to your own biases yeah. so we'll just yeah i know and then when you try to hold on let me make sure i think my there we go um it, it's 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 annoying because like even i try to take a very middle ground not a middle ground but just like a very curious maybe not skeptical, but curious um, stance on a lot of things. Right. Um, And, you know, when I question things, people perceive me as being like, and I've been accused of this where it's just like, well, you're just being negative. I'm like, well, I mean, that's the nature of science. Science is, it's designed to rule things into like, it's better to like rule something out completely than to like, like it's impossible to rule. Like it's almost impossible to rule something Mm -hmm. like with a hundred percent like certainty. Right. So it's like, that's kind of like the nature of things. It's like, yeah, but this. And so people see that as being quote unquote, emotionally negative. And I'm like, no dude, that's like the nature of it. Isn't it good to know that this doesn't work so you can just throw it out. Right. Right. That's, that's so freeing, at least to me. And so when I like, like, for example, Oh God, what was it? I was arguing with the other day. Um, like, for example, like this movement narcissistic bullshit where it's like you have to move a certain way or else you're going to be prone to hurting yourself. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, cool. Yeah, but it works for me or whatever or my patients. I'm like, well, there's a reason for it. It's like you're just avoiding a painful position. So it's like, well, of course it's going to be not pay- it's going to quote unquote work is because you just provide them a modification. Mm-hmm. It's not like you fixed the problem. So it's just incredibly irresponsible. So I was arguing this point with a colleague and, you know, I was just seen as like, you know, like the devil. I was like, no, but it's true. Like, you know, and I see that I'm very critical of my own stuff too. Like, right. If I'm being completely, um, if I'm being completely transparent, like I'm in fellowship training, right. And it's a manual orthopedic fellowship training, but they're very, they're very, they're very much like you need to prove yourself right before you can do something. I mean, prove yourself right or prove yourself wrong. And very skeptical about like you know what our own treatments do as well. So so yeah, I've, I've, like I know people bash on manual therapy, but it's like you know I really just use it as an avenue to like you know maybe help them with a little bit of pain and move, help them move forward. I'm not going to hang my hat on like I could fix them by through some manual therapy mm-hmm. technique. That's just a load of garbage. 
but but it's it's I think it's I'm kind of I that's just like the as Chad Cook would say uh, like that's just the the road I've chosen to take which is the Maitland method right and it, even within the Maitland method the majority of it really isn't about like oh how good is your technique it's like how how well how 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 in tune is your critical thinking process and what can you do to make it better? Right. And then removing biases and, and focusing on the patient. I think that's what should always matter the most, not trying to uh, silo yourself into some certain way of moving and then like make a patient a robot, (laughs) you know, it's like ridiculous. So I, I think understanding, like having an open mind about these things and, and understanding that, yeah, the things aren't probably going to work. I think people it's human nature for us to like latch mm-hmm. onto something that sounds positive because that's like easy. Right. I also think it's lazy, but I don't think people are unintentional are intentionally being lazy. I just think that, you know, they just latch onto something that seems like pro- quote unquote promising. So um, I don't fault people for wanting to like sound positive and, and try to get specific and be like, this is what you have to do period. Um, because I think it's, it's therapists are well-meaning. They want patients to get better. And so when they see something that quote unquote seems to work, then they're going to hang on to it. But then they'll, they'll quickly realize with a lot of patients that that's just not going to work on every patient. Right. And then, so the question is, why does it work for this patient? Mm -hmm. Now that's a valuable question, right? So then I have no problem doing like whatever modification that seems to help for that patient. I'll use those same techniques, but just under a different framework. It's just like, okay, cool. Use this to do this for now, like a temporary change, right? And then then we can learn from that. I don't think that we have to like these dogmas are just like, ugh, it's just so like poisonous. <laughs> and then even within yeah. like the Twitter feeds, well, it's just I, like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would want to zoom out a little bit. I, I was thinking... I definitely agree with pretty much all of what you're saying. Um, I think the, some of the nuances of what you're saying is specific to what you're going through right now in your fellowship that I can't entirely relate to. But I think the message is fairly clear. And I would I would zoom out and say like we were kind of wired to to want clear to want certainty right in our answers. I was just thinking you and me and probably a lot of people. Why do you go to like PT school, for example, or, and you probably relate this to a lot of other professions, you want clear answers about how to do something and affect change and help people, right? And the way that even mm-hmm. like our systems and education are structured is like reinforces that, right? You, you are the blank slate, yeah. like student mind. I mean, obviously it's not that simple because you already have like undergrad education and everything, but uh and, and and like for me for example for some people it's like if you're going after right after undergrad you're kind of still a child to some extent right <laughs> so yeah i'm, I'm still so, a child so, now so David. it's like you're just still imprinting these um <laughs> especially with curriculum and its slowness to change right uh you're imprinting these ideas of like this is what we mm-hmm. do or this is what we've already done this is what we're going to teach you the impression if you're not really familiar to with critical with what we would say is you know with a higher level degree right you're just asking more questions (laughs) that's kind of more what it would be like but the idea is like we're just gonna exactly even this you know doctorate level program we went to you learn all these things and then it wasn't really until you know as you progress and after graduation that you start to realize like 
oh, wow, this is uh, a lot of what we were taught is just kind of the go-tos, but, and, and they still hold sway, right? Um, but there's a lot of questions. They do. They totally do. The irony, yeah. The irony behind it is like the treatment style is probably not all that different. It's really like how you frame it and educate it. That's way different. Like, my God, it's it, we talk all this stuff about all the complicated mess that it is, right? And then when we do the actual intervention, like the movement intervention or yeah. whatever, like a lot of it is the same, right? It's it's so interesting. So it's just like it's maybe how we prescribe it or how we describe it or educate about it and what to ex- expectations long-term that really change. Um, and I think it, I was just thinking about you the other day. Cause like I actually <laughs> yeah. gave a bird dog as an exercise <laughs> and then, and then like, I just remembered that I was thinking in my head, how do I progress this or regress this? <laughs> and yeah, I said more bird, dirty, <laughs> less donkey. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you remember, I remember that? That, that was school? one of my that was one of my gold star moments. That was, that was a highlight. <laughs> so then the patient was like the patient was like, oh okay, well what if this gets too easy? I was like, more straight up center, more birdie, less donkey. <laughs> uh, okay, wow. But yeah. Way off tangent. Anyway, but yeah. I found a use for it, yeah, is definitely. what I'm saying. <laughs> And I see what you're saying, but, but anyway, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that, um, <laughs> like there's there's a lot of that, that holds sway. Um, and now I'm like losing losing my point, of course. <laughs> now that I'm coming back to it, but but the thing is, I like, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, like schools, no, school still gives us valuable stuff. stuff framed yeah. is to support that idea of like do these things. Let's give you the sense so you can have a certainty about what you do. And then you go into like post-graduation and it's like, take these con ed courses because they didn't teach you in school. So we can give you more certainty about being a great clinician and add all these letters to your name. And it just means you're going to be a great, (laughs) it's going to give you certainty about what you do works. Right. But in reality that I feel like that's not really how we should be approaching it. Like having, you were mentioning that you're viewed as that negative mindset. Like it shouldn't be like that. That's just like you said, kind of how, a lot of the scientific method works, right? You you keep on exploring, you keep on asking questions. Yeah. Like that healthy level of uncertainty is a good thing, right? You shouldn't be, and and and, the, and that goes into that question. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, for the longest time, as you're learning, you know, there are some things that seem, and uh, as you keep learning, there are some things that may seem intuitive, like oh yeah, it totally makes sense that this would work, right? And if you're a charismatic and a good communicator, you can definitely yeah. sell that sort of stuff, which is why you have a lot of these gurus and con ed courses that really sell these things strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is things are not necessarily as intuitive or things don't always really work like we would suppose. And again, that goes back to the, the that issue of things are far more complex than we can like hope to understand. That's why we, it's good to keep on asking questions, keep on trying to unearth things. Right. And that's a cool thing. Cause then as, as you learn more, that's, that in itself can be satisfying, right? To be like, wow, we're learning more. Cool. Yeah, and yeah, and your job is never boring. It's it's not it's not like it doesn't right. have to be nihilistic. It can be like, wow, like this is really driving us to to understand more. And and along the way, there are some po- there are positives. It does change practice. It does help people, right? Um, yeah, yeah, 
totally. And we've come so far already. It's just like, we got a lot more to clean up, but it's just like, you know, I think to your point about, um, because when I graduated, right, you remember me, I was like, (laughs) what? (laughs) You're telling me that, that this isn't exactly how it was going to be. And it's like, my, so my mentor, one of the things was like, physical therapy isn't just a job about managing like you know in our case orthopedic condition it's about managing people and um and, and how well you are at, at, at like you know managing expectations and and and, and un- truly understanding them and not letting miscommunication get in the way because that mm-hmm. can definitely get in the way right um and so that's i feel like that's half the job like how well we do uh, an exam or an intervention or whatever yes that's you can be incredibly skilled but if you're terrible at communicating like if you look at them with with volume off right two different therapists with their patient volume off they could probably look similar in terms Mm -hmm. of like what they're doing physically but you turn the volume on and how they're speaking they will say two completely different things and i've heard people say things that just make me cringe (laughs) and i'm like oh my god and our interventions kind of look the same but it's terrible to think like, cause I mean like interventions that you do in the clinic are like what, like 20, 30 minutes. And it's like, they go outside of the clinic and how they live the rest of their life and integrate physical quote unquote physical therapy. Yeah. That's the most important thing. Right. So that's why I always say education and management styles and all that stuff is really framing stuff is really how we should um, put a lot, we should put a lot more focus on that in the education system. And it's like, you know, I'm going to say, like, I feel like most institutions, I don't know, maybe they are doing a better job. I don't know. But, like, there could be a better emphasis. Maybe it was me as a student that wasn't that good at it, uh, maybe, like, taking that from from school. But I was so concentrating. I was so concentrated on not trying to fail. So, like, I had no time to really think about that. So, obviously, we were dialed in on, like, the specifics about certain stuff. And then you realize later, it's like, wow, it's so much more than that. Um, yeah, well, I think as a student, anyway, though, that's there, just my there's like dead. limited, um, there's, there's limited, I guess, mental resources, or <laughs> like, you have to learn the foundations of like, anatomy, physiology, like stuff that you know, solidly, oh, yeah, and, and critical 100%, thinking and stuff, yeah. and scientific inquiry or whatever, that's part of our coursework. But now that you like, have gotten a handle on, you know, some of the basic science stuff, and you go through your career, you kind of have a hunger for, for more of that. Um, I don't know what, what would people call it? Not, not soft. So it's definitely not soft ideals, but this idea, yeah, the idea of questioning and yeah, the soft, soft skills, skills. And questioning and things like that. Like you, you want a heavier dose of that, but it's the, the, I think an interesting question is, would you really have that perspective unless you'd actually gone through the program and gotten real world experience? No, you're right. But I think it you're, does need to be emphasized, like you're yeah, saying. Yeah, you're right. I like, think. Hey, listen, you're learning all this stuff, but this is really, really important. And they're probably, and I do agree there. There should be a larger share of, hey, don't just take things, don't just like be fed this stuff necessarily, right? Like, yes, learn it and everything, but learn to question mm-hmm. and understand. Like, I still, and I would, I would pose this to you, but I still feel in a large way, like I'm, I'm a student in the sense that because I lacked, um, it was just kind of like a cursory teaching of 
scientific methodology and stuff or, or maybe you're not taking that seriously enough as a student oh, yeah. now i'm kind of like wow i want to like get back into that stuff and and i i feel in a sense like um you know i didn't i didn't go into like a research go into research <laughs> right away so that's not facilitated through practice right you typically we go on to clinical jobs right so there's less and then and then you have less resources mm-hmm. with your time and energy then because you're just focused on doing your job but really like you want to be a mm-hmm. learner and so i have this hunger to learn learn about that and i feel inadequate in a sense so i have this now i have this desire and this skepticism and want to ask questions but i still feel like i'm still needing to be a student and understanding those tools better right and that and that's that comes with time like mm-hmm. for example like I still get confused thinking about like, what does it mean statistically mathematically with the positive likelihood ratio and, and like sensitivity, specificity stuff like that still is like whiskey to my brain. (laughs) And I, and I like still need to remind myself to go back and look at those concepts to understand them better. And for me, just the way my brain works, it's going to take like, a few more years of practice for that to be ingrained so it's just off the top of my head and i don't have to really think about me too what's the equation that leads to that <laughs> <laughs> why does p value point and they're not, they're not suck? Um, like you do need to study um, you do need to study those things to to get a better grasp on them and then understand them in practice and it's hard it's, it's hard work so it's discouraging it's yeah to just go through the motions so it's funny because it's like you go through all that understanding all of that what's statistically like you know significant all this stuff all this study like hours of time into a certain topic and then at the end of it (laughs) yeah so this test is pretty much garbage (laughs) (laughs) so it's like Right. But that's good. I still think that's good. You know what I mean? That's but, but all it, it, very it, much worth The focus on the school, um, for example, is that maybe as a student, you're mm-hmm. thinking, ah, oh, the test was garbage. Like, why did I waste my time learning that? But another approach to that now is, wow, I learned all this stuff to help me understand why the test is bad, <laughs> garbage. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of, <laughs> like, there you understanding go. Why? is this garbage or why is this useful or how did we arrive at this conclusion? Like the, the journey, the, what you learn along the way to get there, that there's really valuable stuff in there because it teaches you how to evaluate evidence. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So I think, you know, again, those are things I think, you know, as a student, like there's just so much you got to be, you you concentrate on and that's just the way our system is built in education right like you got to get an a like you you got to pass the test you can't fail i just wish there was an extra emphasis on understanding and framing like how you use it right like for um if they had told us maybe you know look listen there's a great degree of uncertainty this is probably not going to matter as much as you think we're still going to test you on it but (laughs) it's like you know it's almost like for example, my mentor who um, went through both um, residency and fellowship. So in the very beginning, this is going to, I promise this is going to make a point. Um, but in the very beginning, in the very beginning, she, when they were doing tests for the OCS program, they were like, okay, you need to do all the tests a certain way 
the same way every single time. Boom, boom, boom. You got to master it. You got to do X amount of tests every time. Cool. Then they were, then they graduated from their OCS program. Then they moved into fellowship. And then the first thing they said was, you know how to do the test? Cool. Scrap all of that. Don't even think about doing it unless you know why you're doing it. So it's almost like school where it's just like, okay, cool. You got the baseline of what this does and you, you perform it perfectly. Now you're not allowed to do it unless you know yeah, why so you're doing it. Other level. Which is like, uh, so it's like, you know, and that's kind of like um, with us now. It's just like now that we've gone through school, we understand the basics. Yeah. We understand why we're doing it. Right. And I think that's where all like the evidence and all this other stuff really starts to come in. And it's like being just, you know, more thoughtful and curious um, clinicians is, is probably best and, and, and more thoughtful uh, and curious clinicians and empathetic and making sure we're better communicators. That's like the biggest thing. Right. right. Making sure we're not misunderstood, too, because that can easily, easily get like misconstrued yeah. in an evaluation. Yeah, it makes me wonder I'm kind of thinking like, oh, yeah, I, wish that... I, I wish I had a better handle on, on this and, and the why you're doing things earlier on. But you could also make the argument mm-hmm. is that it mm-hmm. does take years. It does take that experience to really develop that. But yeah, I think it's striking a balance, right? Because mm-hmm. you can go through a career without really thinking too hard about things, right? Um, so the the earlier, mm-hmm. the better. <laughs> ideally so totally (sighs) yeah yes (laughs) well (laughs) this is now we said we were only gonna do an episode of uh 30 minutes it's now 53 minutes i know (laughs) there's certainly a lot that we can talk about oh my god putting putting our thoughts into a podcast based based on our our history of conversations about what we do I think there's a lot of content that could be <laughs> created of us just chatting about these things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who should we send this to? Is it better questions? Like, hey, take a listen. Yeah, I don't know. Well, we have class. I don't even know. Should, should, we, should we post it on our, no, should we post it on our class website, our Facebook page? <laughs> the, what? You think so? Why, uh, why would that be too sure public? I'm not sure that yet. I think we should just go straight. I think we should just go straight <laughs> to the podcast application. <laughs> that's the what? That's the, <laughs> you always said that you said that too seriously. I you almost fucking believed you. Sarcasm. <laughs> I did. <laughs> no, no. I was like, what uh, the? although you know, I I thought all right. Pretty well, well, okay. So I am, part of my brain is toying with that idea. Like, let's just put this out there. Um, but it would probably good idea. Probably be a good idea to get some some personal feedback. Um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll I'll send it to, to a couple people. And well, see what they it's think. been fun. Uh, hopefully, we can do this again. A little bit more polished. Yes. It's been fun. I'm your host, Stephen. Thank you for his. Thank you for this. Maybe though, if we if we end up diving into this, hopefully we can make things a little bit more polished, right? Uh, yeah, for sure. I kind of like the erratic nature of it, but I'm gonna leave it up to you to make it more orderly with your fellowship, right? And you're employed, so. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just crazy. Yeah. Well, I'm not a very organized person myself, but I guess I'm learning. So maybe that'll help me as we go along. Oh, that's that's what I'm trying to do with my life now. Anyway, my life's a mess. Good job. Help me. Your room. Um, 
Yeah, organized. I, did. I didn't organized. just clean my room. I redecorated it and I rearranged it, organized it. Yes, I'm a, I'm a real human now. Anyway, for those of you know who know, imagine patients are listening. <laughs> Stephen's got a messy yeah, room. Yeah, kind of threw you under the bus there. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's fine. I don't give a shit. Um, but yeah, like I redid everything. It's pretty fantastic. Blah, blah, blah. COVID has really like given me a run for my money mentally. So it's just like I go into my room like, yeah. what happened to me? So that's why I changed it. Wow, our <laughs> listeners definitely do not need to hear this. All right, man. Well, it was good. <laughs> uh, hopefully, we can uh, do this in that more polished form soon. All right, man. Uh, all right, I'm going to go off there, but let me know how to okay, like, save it good. and then like send it to people. All right. Come on.